Luke 2, 21 to 32. On the eighth day, when it was time to circumcise him, he was named Jesus, the name the angel had given him before he had been conceived. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law of the Lord, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. Now there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel and the Holy Spirit was upon him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Christ. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. So the passage we're going to have a bit of a look at is the one that you got printed in front of you there, uh, kind of a little known part of kind of the Christmas story. It's not Christmas Day, it's kind of a month after Christmas Day. Uh, one of the things that really amazed me when I was growing up was homing pigeons. Not sure whether you ever spent much time thinking about them, but did you ever see these trailers driving around? People loading their pigeons into the back of the trailers, driving them off hundreds of kilometres away, letting them out of the cage, and they managed to get home. They managed to fly all the way home. I mean, let's be serious. These things have a brain about half the size of a jelly bean. We have, we have full-grown adults in our house that don't have the directional sense that these birds have. I mean, how is that possible that that thing can be released from a cage? Did they just take good notes when they were on their way there? Did they, did they just kind of just think, okay, we did a left and then we did a right and then we drove for about 10? How in the world do homing pigeons do it? Now, I'm sure that there is a lot that we can learn from homing pigeons and there's a lot that we can learn from pigeons because I don't know if you noticed it, but they're mentioned in the passage that was read to us just a little bit earlier. As I said, it's not exactly the Christmas story, but it's pretty close to it. The events that we read about happened a month after Jesus was born. Mary and Joseph have made their way to Jerusalem, which was what the law required, and Mary was required by the law, God's law, to make an offering at the temple and required to make this particular offering that is spelled out in the law. Now, I suppose we're all aware of the humble circumstances into which Jesus was born, the fact that he's born in a shed because they didn't have anywhere to stay, Uh, the fact that he's wrapped in strips of cloth because they didn't have a chance to organise a baby shower. But the temple visit is further evidence of the humble circumstances of Jesus' birth. The law required that Mary and Joseph were to make this offering at the temple following the birth of their son. And And you read about it there in Luke chapter 2, verse 22. When the time of their purification, according to the law of Moses, had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, as it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord 
and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said in the law, a pair of doves or two young pigeons. They've gone to make the two-pigeon offering at the temple. Now, it kind of seems like a trivial detail that Luke would even bother putting this in here, specifying exactly what offering it is that is supposed to be made. And strangely enough, two pigeons wasn't actually what the law required. The law said that you're required to make an offering of one lamb and pigeons. This is what it actually says in Leviticus. If she cannot afford a lamb, she is to bring two doves or two young pigeons, one for a burn offering and the other for a sin offering. See, that's what the law said, that they were supposed to go with a lamb to the temple, not just two pigeons. The two pigeon offering, that was the one for people who had no money. That was the one for the people who were poor. And I suppose every parent would like to try and do the best for their kids. I mean, every parent wants to try and give their kids the best start that they can in life. But as Joseph and Mary are making their way to the temple, everybody recognises what's happening. Oh, they're taking the two-pigeon sacrifice, the two-pigeon offering. It says something about them as a family. And that is the family that Jesus was born into. And that's one of the most remarkable things about Christmas is not just that Jesus was born into that family, but that Jesus would be willing to humble himself in that way. This is how Jesus is described in the book of Hebrews. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he's spoken to us by his son, whom he appointed heir of all things and through whom the universe was made. The Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. But they could only afford the two-pigeon offering. Couldn't afford the lamb. That was the circumstances into which he was born. This is the one through whom the universe was made the one who is the exact representation of God's being and the family could only afford the two-pigeon offering. Seems incredible that God would be willing to do that. That God would allow his son to be born into those circumstances. But it's like Paul says in 1 Corinthians. He says, But God chose the foolish things of this world to shame the wise. He chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. He chose the lowly things of the world and the despised things and the things that are not to nullify the things that are so that no one may boast before him. But there's more that we can actually learn from these pigeons. There's a phrase that gets repeated a couple of times. If you have a look at the Bible passage, you might have noticed it or might have even heard it when it was read because it gets repeated so many times. Luke chapter 2, verse 22, when the time came for the purification according to the law of Moses had been completed, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem to present him to the Lord, to the Lord as it is written in the law of the Lord. Every firstborn must be consecrated and the offering and the sacrifice in keeping with what the Lord says in his law. And then you look a little bit further down, verse 27, moved by the Spirit, talking about Simeon, he went to the temple courts and when the parents had brought the child, uh, Jesus, to do for him what the custom of the law required. It gets repeated all the way through this passage. 
that they're doing what the law says they have to do. Luke wants to stress right from the start, right from his birth, even when, strangely enough, Jesus really had no control over the things that were happening, he's keeping God's law. Right from the very beginning, when he's in his parents' arms, keeping this law was significant. It was significant because one of the things that makes it possible for us to be to have our sin dealt with is the fact that Jesus was without sin. There is a trade that pl- takes place when Jesus dies on the cross. The one who has no sin pays the penalty for our sin. This is how John describes it. Everyone who sins breaks the law. In fact, sin is lawlessness. But you know that he appeared so that he might take away our sins. And in him is no sin. It's another place in the Bible where where Paul says the same thing. God made him who had no sin to be sin for us so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. The fact that Jesus was without sin is not some cute little detail. It's not trying to say, oh, he was a very good boy. It's kind of central to the purpose of Jesus coming into this world. He came as one without sin in order to deal with our sin. I suppose most people are probably familiar with the story of the Wright brothers, Orville and Orville and Wilbur. Uh, they were the first people to achieve powered flight. It happened on December, in December 1903. After many attempts, the, flight, the Wright brothers managed to get this flying machine of theirs up off the ground. Uh, they were so excited by what they achieved that they sent a telegram through to their father and their sister. And it read in part, and they actually have the telegram at, uh, the, at one of the Smithsonian's in the US. This is how the telegram read. Success, four flights Thursday morning, longest 57 seconds, inform press, home Christmas. Sister Catherine was so excited by this news, she knew what her brothers had been working for, that she raced down to the editor of the local paper, placed the telegram on the table in front of him and watched him as he read, expecting him to be just as excited. And after reading the telegram, he said, how nice, the boys will be home for Christmas. One of the most monumental events in, a, in, in hundreds of years had taken place. This newspaper editor was one of the first people to find out about it, but he couldn't see the important thing in there for the trivial details. Amazing, isn't it? A newspaper era, editor couldn't see that this most significant event in human history has taken place. In the Bible reading, the second part of our Bible reading was a man by the name of Simeon who we're told is a godly man and longing for the day when God would rescue his people. Let me read it again for you, starting at verse 28 or verse 27. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you now dismiss your servant in peace. For my eyes have seen your salvation, which you have prepared in the sight of all people, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and glory for your people Israel. 
Simeon could see past the humble circumstances. He could see past the two pigeons that were being carried. He didn't get caught up on the trivial details. He saw right to the very heart of what was happening here. He could see that God was bringing about his plan of salvation for this world. God's son has come into the world to bring life to the whole world, to deal with our sin. He came so that we could be forgiven. He came so that we could be made right with God. And that's the message of Christmas. Make sure you don't miss it. Make sure you don't get distracted by the lights or the, or the noise or the Christmas decorations or the presents. Let me finish with one more Bible verse. A couple of them actually. It comes from John's Gospel where John, who doesn't tell us at all about the birth of Jesus, but does tell us about why Jesus came into the world. This is what he says. He was in the world and though the world was made through him, the world did not recognise him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. That's the wonderful message of Christmas. Jesus, the one who is God, was willing to come into this world into those most humble circumstances. But more than that, Jesus, the one who is God, enables us to become children of God, part of his family.